Hello and welcome to the Uncapped Podcast, brought to you by Roast House Pub, one of Frederick's finest craft beer and culinary destinations, where great people come to drink amazing beer. Visit them to track their taps and menu at roasthousepub.com, or download the digital pour app to track what's on tap. This is episode 125, and I'm your host, Chris Sands. Today, we're going to talk about and get updates on Maryland's alcohol legislation as it applies to all three industries. And we're joined by Kevin Addix, the executive director of Grow and Fortify, and Jim Bachman, the communications manager. And anyone who doesn't know what Grow and Fortify is, what... You're the actually. Why don't I, you you know what you're talking about? So I'll let you say it instead I was of me ask, guessing. I was ask Jim. Yeah. <laughs> so so uh, it's a it's a firm that manages the Maryland Wineries Association, Brewers Association of Maryland, and the Maryland Distillers Guild. And more broadly, we work to cultivate and promote value added agriculture in Maryland. Did Kevin do that right, Jim? It sounds you're, perfect to me. <laughs> All right, so. I guess, well, first let's start talking about uh, distilleries because we also want to talk about um, the Frederick Spirits Festival and give some details on that. Absolutely. So, Jim, let's talk about that first. Uh, we'll do some self-serving sure. uh, stuff first, and then we'll get into what has happened in the House and the Senate this year as it pertains to uh, the spirits laws. Awesome. So, uh Saturday, April the 20th, 2019, at the Frederick Fairgrounds. We are working closely with the Uncat Podcast to present the Frederick Spirits Festival. Right now, we've got about 20 um, local distilleries that are going to be in attendance. We'll have a couple of seminars there for folks to attend, and we have two levels of passes available. Uh, all of the details about that event and those passes are available at frederickspiritsfestival.com. And uh, we're looking forward to a great day. We have a food truck that's going to be on site, live entertainment, and our members are going to be displaying and demonstrating how to make cocktails with their spirits that they're distilling here in the state. And the, does the VIP area include like the classes or like the quick overview type of classes and things that were, were that they had last year? Uh, this year like, we're going to actually have a cocktail making seminar. Okay. So the VIP passes are called crafting passes this year. And the idea is that you're going to learn how to craft your own cocktails. So mm -hmm. when you leave that festival uh, as a crafting pass holder, you're going to feel empowered enough to go home and start making cocktails using different mixers and ideas that you've learned through attending these little uh, half-hour seminars. I should probably attend one of those because I know how to add ice to um, <laughs> that's, that's where it's I a good start. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're and, working with a lady named uh, Tori Pratt, and she has a company called Pratt Standard Cocktail Company. And at one of our events that we did this last fall, she did one of these seminars, and the folks that were attending that class oh, seemed to it. have... They loved it. Yeah, it was, it was incredible. So awesome. they seem to have a really great time, and we're looking forward to her being able to share some more of that knowledge with the attendees at the uh, Frederick Spirits Festival. And and a great thing about the Spirits Festival, just like the craft beer festivals that you guys throw, is that it's staffed by the people who work at usually the owner or the distillers yeah. themselves. And just like brewers, they are passionate about what they're doing and love to teach people and talk about the industry. And you can learn a lot at these events. Yeah, we've got some very impassioned distillers throughout the entire state. And uh, we're very fortunate to have all of a majority of them on board to come and help us celebrate here in Frederick. Right, so 
everyone should rush and get tickets to that. Absolutely. And we will also, at some point, if you follow us, the Uncapped Podcast on Facebook, uh, we'll be giving away a pair of tickets to yeah. listeners. Absolutely. Um, so what legislation was moved forward for uh, the spirits industry this year? Because I believe it was a big deal, right? I, I saw... Yeah. I saw some stuff I didn't quite understand what I was looking at, but it looked like there was a huge thing that they wanted happened. Yeah, one one's a big deal, and the other's a big deal if it applies to you. Um, <laughs> uh, and then otherwise, it would not make much sense, but it's a licensing issue. And I'll start with that one. It, it's, it would simply allow a, um, micro, a limited distillery, which is essentially like a microbrewery. It's a restaurant with a brewery attached to it, um, to open up in counties that don't offer... A tavern license so that's that's going to affect probably three of our members um, but for them it's a really really big deal the one that affects most of the members of the distilling industry uh, is um, house bill 549 and it would create a cocktail permit that a, a local liquor board could issue to a distillery and it would it would solve the age-old concern um, age because only our industry is what uh, seven or eight years old but <laughs> very young. It, very yeah but the age-old problem of you know I walk into a distillery and unless I know how to drink that product and am comfortable and am used to uh, drinking that product neat so just you know a little sample of it I have no way to compare that so you know if you're a gin drinker but you only drink gin as a gin and tonic or a rum drinker with a rum and soda or whatever it might be up to now, you've not been able to try it in that context. So this bill would allow that to happen and allow them to sell um, local cocktails up to a certain limit. And that bill has passed, um, as of the recording of this show, the uh, House and still needs to go through the Senate. And I assume you're going to be saying a lot of that today because yeah, things have day. started lots, moving lots in very motion. quickly. Right, right. Um, so is there – do the cocktails fall into the – in conjunction with the limits of like what they were able to do as tastings or is this like the number of cocktails that they can serve? So, you know, everything comes at, at the, uh, I guess at the result of a compromise and a discussion. So we worked with other segments of the alcohol industry to find out where that happy medium is. Didn't make sense really to track the number of drinks per person because it's, it's hard to track that. Um, but there's an overall limit in the bill of, of how many gallons of their spirits they're allowed to use in cocktails okay. in a year. And that's how the breweries, you know, if you think about breweries. Barrels. Yeah, it's barrels. How much they're that. allowed to sell, just the general flow through. And when you hit that limit, sorry, you're out of luck. Okay. So th so does it do away with, like, if you go and take a tour and tasting of a distillery, you're only allowed, what, like two ounces? You're, still, you're still limited in a tasting context of a certain number of samples okay but then if you wanted to pay for a cocktail because those samples could be free or charged um but when it comes to cocktails the goal is um you know someone may come in and doesn't want to go through a flight and doesn't want to try things they're they're there for the the gin or yeah. the the bourbon or whatever it might be and they want to try it in a cocktail yeah they want to see how their favorite spirit that spirit Correct. tastes the right. way they they're going to drink right. it right and it allows our distillers to be uh, creative. I mean, Jim talked about the, the Frederick Spirits Festival and, you know, the fact that customers want to come in and try different products and, and learn how to make those products. I mean, I'm a dummy when it comes to that. I have no idea how to mix anything. I can make a martini and I screw that up half the time, right? So I'm, I'm with you, you know, uh, ice. 
I'm, I, I'm so actually I, not even sure what's in a martini. Well, there you go. <laughs> Embarrassing. I can screw one up for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's club soda, right? Or no, is it please don't. It? No, no. <laughs> okay. I'm pretty sure there's Sprite. Vermouth. We'll talk off air. Yeah, no, there's no Sprite. <laughs> a Sprite martini. <laughs> the uncapped official drink. <laughs> martini spritzers. <Yeah. laughs> Uh, I, I told you I put ice. I have, I have, uh, <laughs> we'll stick with ice. Yeah, yeah I dropped some ice in <laughs> and drink it. But I, at least I found that was the fastest and easiest way to start to like spirits. Yeah, and it, it wasn't like I, I didn't ease myself into it at all. It just went straight to straight to ice. Yeah, <laughs> just yeah, drinking it straight on the rocks. And I find just just trying spirits, I will try them neat. I will try just a little sample first because I like to figure out what I'm getting into before I put it into a cocktail. But most people I've found, they like the cocktail. Even if it's just a mini cocktail, it would give the flexibility of the distiller to, to do a mini cocktail or a full-size cocktail. Yeah, I'm, I would assume there aren't many people going to bars and restaurants and just asking for a glass of vodka on the rocks. or No. I mean, maybe bourbon or whiskey, but short of that, that's probably not, not many other things that are being drank straight at that's right. when you go out. I think as this craft distilling movement kind of sweeps across the country, you see a lot of folks that are either involved with the bar business or the restaurant business who have elevated their status by learning how to make really great cocktail recipes. And this is a huge promotional tool also for all of these businesses. You get somebody in there with a talent and a knack to do this, and all of a sudden social media is brightened up because you have new colorful things that you're able to display and really unique uh, techniques that you may not think about as a consumer and seeing those things is kind of enlightening. Yeah. This is a nice bill where it not, it's great for us as consumers. Cause now we can, we have variety, but for, for distilleries as a business, right. being able to sell cocktails is right. a huge deal for them. It's, it's huge. I mean, it, it lets them show off their wares. Um, and when you, when you have a place like in Frederick, you've got 10th Ward and, and McClintock and, and Dragon who are doing really cool portfolios of products. They can now start blending them and, you know, with club soda. So you're not actually consuming more liquor. You're consuming yeah. it in a creative format, and yeah. that, that's what's really you're diluting cool about it. the alcohol. Well, absolutely, you're being responsible. But, but you're able <laughs> to then play with the flavors and and you know do something creative. I, I think at one of our distillery events, um, was it Baltimore Whiskey Company won one of their uh, one one of the competitions with a gin and Earl Grey tea mm-hmm. that was macerated you know overnight and just this big elaborate thing, and they were you know. Pl- pulling it out of a cauldron and it just the whole concept they love to go weird it was awesome (laughs) it was like super super cool um so are they allowed to to use alcohol that's not produced there or does it have to be like if it's a cocktail that calls for um something they don't make something they don't make can they use for alcohol from other places or does it have to be all alcohol made on site they can so the bill was drafted oh wow so it's almost making like a a limited bar it is but there's a limit in terms of the limits right so the the first limit is how much they can sell um and there's a limit to that extent um how much they can bring in from off-premise it's extremely limited they're allowed to have uh, up to 10 bottles of products they don't produce Okay. And they have to buy it from a liquor store. So they're paying full retail for it, right? So it's not like they're going to make a lot of money off of these cocktails. It's really, and again, the whole purpose was to showcase their their product. But the reason the other alcohol was brought in is, um, you know, back to the martini, there's vermouth, 
which is a not mm, sprite it's not sprite <laughs> not even a, a, a flavor of sprite yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but in that case they don't make vermouth so it would make sense to be able to have a bottle of vermouth on and again you're only using a little bit and then the total alcohol volume is still not not high what type of spirit is vermouth it's actually i think it's made in the wine process in the same process oh. you would make wine so it's not it's so not it's not distilled. Technically it's a mu- spirit. Okay, that's how much I know about. I don't know much about anything really. Sure. Uh, so does that cover that covers everything for uh, distilleries? It does. So actually, they're in really good shape. Every other industry, it took them forever. Man, it's <laughs> to, early. You to know, get we still to, got three weeks left in this episode. Oh yeah, it's so true. Things could go south, but they're happens. not going to. They, this has been a yeah, good year so optimistic, far. Optimistic, right? Um, but that that's good. Their their young industry has probably, I guess, benefited a lot from all of the work that the wine industry at first put in, and then the breweries following. Then the world that, didn't end by allowing them to that's true. advance. That's that. true. So dis- distilleries are benefiting from the nut the education that was provided from expanding. So there was those a foundation there. To start with, but also, you know, when you look at the distilling industry as a whole, you know, certainly in our region, um, 10 years ago, you couldn't name more than a distiller or two in, you know, D.C., Virginia, Pennsylvania, beyond. Now there are hundreds. And so their laws have evolved at a much faster pace than ours have because they started further ahead. So I think one of the benefits that distilleries have have, uh, gained from that is they're able to go in and say, hey, look, you know, Virginia has been able to do cocktails for so many years and look at the difference in their businesses. Look at how many more have started. Look at how many, um, you know, how fast they're growing. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a part of the business. People aren't going to open a distillery to sell cocktails. They're going to use cocktails as a promotional tool to help yeah. sell their spirits. They want to sell bottles yeah. and get, That's on, the goal, yeah. get on the shelves they don't of be bars. other bars. Right. All right, cool. Well, we're going to take a real quick break uh, to thank our sponsors. And then we will dive into beer, which I theoretically know the most about of the three industries. And I'll probably sound like less of a moron. <laughs> a huge thank you to our presenting sponsor, Roast House Pub, which is located at 5700 Urbana Pike in Frederick, Maryland. If you have listened to this podcast before, you have definitely heard me go on and on about the beer dinners that Chef Nico creates. Simply put, they are amazing. But Roast House Pub has much more to offer. Their friendly staff is knowledgeable about beer and will help you choose from among the 20 beers they have on tap. In addition to the awesome beer selection, the food is always amazing. Make sure to follow them on Facebook and check their website at www.roasthousepub.com to keep up to date on their constant stream of events. The Frederick Spirits Festival is coming back to the Frederick Fairgrounds on April 20th for a day of food, music, and local spirits. Find your inner mixologist with a cocktail mixing seminar with sampling included with a crafting pass, or join us for the spirits sampling by picking up a tasting pass. Liven up your liquor cabinet with local Maryland spirits. For more information and tickets, go to frederickspiritsfestival.com. So it was 2017 was probably the first year that major legislative reform was attempted. Is that correct? I mean, there there had been things throughout the years because the industry just as a whole needed to be made legal in general. Um, And 
to say that they were contentious during those years was probably an understatement. Uh, but this year seems to be way more cordial. There, there hasn't been the fireworks and drama of years past and seems to be just in general, a more positive experience, right. at least from looking from the outside would, right. would, is that perception correct? Yeah. I mean, there's been, there's been drama, but it's been, uh, drama in the positive sense of trying to get stuff done, trying to negotiate. Um, you know, a lot of credit goes to our brewers, um, who make up our, uh, government affairs committee, our board, but even you know our rank and file brewery members spent a lot of time and energy last fall, um, uh, even the summer into the fall, hosting Brewer for a Day, where they would invite legislators out to come and and see that they're not bars, that they're not you know these these uh, uh, you know genre business killer uh, type places that they're that they're community focused and and uh, truly are craft businesses, and so by the time we got to this legislative session. Uh, we had built and developed an entirely different tone. So there wasn't the angst that we had last year. It was, it was an optimistic uh, push toward getting these reforms. And, um, you know, just looking at some of the metrics, we had uh, 24 sponsors of bills on the brewery bills last year, and there were 112 this year. So that just shows you the difference in, in, in last year to this year. And I think that that help to inform uh, leadership that something something needs to move. And so we've had great cooperation at all levels of, of the House and the Senate. Our sponsors have been incredible. Um, Delegate Krim from, from Frederick County has been uh, uh, incredibly strong. Delegate Atterbury, Senator Hayes, Senator Feldman are our top sponsors. And then um, so many folks have signed on to the bills and just without hesitation. Whereas last year that you know we had to we had to push and pull and prod and and beg uh, and beg and convince them <laughs> and and this year they're like we get it we get it we've been there we get it something needs to happen this year. So there, obviously nothing is completely set in stone yet because uh, like H- Governor Hogan hasn't signed anything yet. But there were three um, major bills in each uh, chamber entered, but they were identical in each chamber. Correct. Right. right. Um, the first one, which I believe is the furthest along is franchise, That's right. which probably from as like, as a consumer is the least, uh, uh, sexy, there's not, there's not a lot of sex appeal bit, there <laughs> built to that one, but was probably the most important to breweries. Yeah, it, it, it is, it continues uh, to be the top priority. Um, we've heard it from brewers ever since we got involved uh, with the brewers a number of years ago. They kept using the F word, this franchise law. And just a quick summary of what it is, um, it, it's a law that, that is a kind of a restricted mandated relationship between a brewer and a wholesaler. When a brewery signs up with a wholesaler in a region to distribute their product, this law says you are bound with that wholesaler unless, A, they let you out, and they don't want to work with you anymore, or, B, you give them notification that the relationship's bad, um, give them 180 days to fix it, and then after that, um, you get to negotiate some kind of a settlement out. And if they say they fix it and they don't think that you need to leave, then you have to sue them. And it's, and, or if you don't agree on the price, then you have to sue them. 
So it, it just didn't make a lot of sense from from uh, just a kind of a fair business dealings environment. And so... Well, and then it, at the ugliest level too, which was probably looked at as one of the most onerous, is during that 180 days, which is an extremely long time, six months. they could simply just stop distributing your product and you have no other recourse to get your product into that territory. Well, and, and, and that's the concern. And we've, we've had a couple of brewers over the years that have, that have um, had really bad relationships and we've done, we've worked with the other side to, to try to get them out of those relationships. Um, we've had, uh, you know, a dozen or more others who have raised concerns, but they don't want to say anything because they're in that precarious position where yeah. if they say something and sales go down further, they're out. Like they're not just out of distribution, they're, they're, they're done. They can't pay their bills. So um, the, the trend nationally has been to start creating exemptions for breweries of a certain size. And uh, we put a bill in and, and uh, worked with the wholesalers and the leadership in the Senate and the House to come up with a number that we could all agree to. Is it a, is it a favorite number for any of us? Um, we don't love it. They don't love it. But I think we've decided that it covers a majority of our industry right now. And um, we, th- we think it's, you know, something that can last a good long time. And that was what it's if, if you produce less than 30,000 barrels. So it's 20. The 20, final bill is 20,000 okay, 20, barrels. 20, which is probably what every one but two breweries in Maryland, maybe, it, or three. It, yeah, and we're not, we're not privy to all the numbers. Yeah. So we've done voluntary surveys because it's tax data. Yeah. So unless the breweries tell us, we don't know. Um, but from our surveys, it's probably four okay. four breweries. Um, um, so, so everybody else and certainly everybody that's opened in the last five years or so 15 years. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, really. So then the, the, it, it's dropped to 45 days. It's 45 days. Um, and then you, during that time, you have to negotiate a fair market value. Now, what does that part mean? I'm the, I, well, I wasn't even, 100% sure. Even what, before that. So the fair market value comes at the end after the notification has been given. But in current law, you have to show good cause. Okay. So the good cause requirement is now gone, meaning that, you know, if, if I'm just sensing that it's not working out and my sales have been declining and you might be going through some stuff and I might be going through some stuff, if I just think, I, I think we need to get out. Yeah. No good cause needed. So in 45 so, day notice and then we negotiate a price. Like in my regular job, I have vendors that I use for IT software right. equipment and stuff. Right. There's been times where I wasn't happy with their responsiveness or how, and I was able to simply, okay, I'm not going to do business with you right. anymore. So I didn't need a reason to tell them I'm not going to. Uh, but if you're a brewery with friends. And French, you didn't need them to agree. Yeah, they right, just, yeah, right. just simply stopped returning <laughs> right. their phone calls. And unfortunately, well, I mean, fortunately, unfortunately, that's not how it works with breweries and distributors, especially not right now. Right. But so well, going forward, they can, if they they get to the point that point where it's not going to work out, they give notice. Sure, now. they give notice. They have forty five days after the giving of notice for the relationship to end, and then they have to negotiate fair market value. And we looked at all kinds of uh, other states' rules, and some states write in exactly what the equation is. If the brewer breaks the relationship, the brewer owes five times gross profit over the last year, or three times gross profit, or whatever it might be. And so okay, so fair market value is kind the of the value of the brewer has to kind of purchase its contract correct. back from the correct. okay 
Because if you think about it, it's not just, you know, if you're the distributor and I sell you my beer, it's not like you're just delivering it. You're investing in that brand. Yeah, and you're we doing get that. sales, you're, you're doing making signage, sales you're doing, collateral. You're sending, right, promotional teams out to, to you know, you're, you're putting signs on trucks and whatever it might be. And, and I think in a great relationship that happens and you wouldn't have a brewery try to bail out of it. In a, in a, in a not-so-great relationship, what actually is the fair market value of that brand that, that you may have pushed downward? So we, we like that. It, it's, it's not an equation in law, which is something we thought we wanted, but then we started doing the math. It's like, well, if they're not doing a good job, it'll be clear. Yeah. If they're doing a great job and you still want to get out, you're going to pay more. You're going to pay more. And, and that's just the reality of it. Now, um, the, the thing that we always make clear is franchise law exists for very good reasons still for big breweries. And I'm talking like the mega yeah, breweries, which uh, which was an argument that always I did think made sense. Like, if you're a distributor that's a Budweiser house right. or an Anheuser Busch house, and I'm Anheuser Busch with no recourse can just say, "Yeah, I'm not going to use you anymore. I'm going to go someplace else." You're going to put disparity in size. Yeah, they're just going to go out of business. Yeah, yeah. it's not. Uh, they would literally go out of business. Yeah. So, Where, whereas you know, if if all of your you know one of the arguments against the bill, which happily were passed, but you know, the arguments against the legislation was, well, what if all of my craft breweries who fall under this number all leave at once? And, I, you know, the, the response they were looking for is, oh, no, we can't let that happen. And I think that the, the you know, uh, the market response would be... That's not going to happen. <laughs> well, you've got <laughs> real a, problems. Yeah, yeah. If that's happening, <laughs> yeah. you've got real problems. Yeah, and, you've done something you, to cause right, that. Right, <laughs> like there's, there's, a, there's something, yeah, maybe you shouldn't be in business. But we don't foresee... We don't foresee a whole lot of change, you know, in the market. Yeah. We see breweries that actually have problems leaving. We see uh, potentially other wholesalers who would like to buy those brands from one wholesaler to another getting in that market now. Whereas right now, there is no real market back and forth. So it's it's inserting a little bit of free oh, market. Yeah, so I it. guess that does make it, it op- like there are several distributors that in Maryland that are mainly craft focused right. and that's what their portfolio is. That gives them the opportunity now to expand their craft portfolio by trying to purchase the... Yeah, so if, if Jim is a new wholesaler and he's you're carrying my beer and he thinks he could do a better job, he'll come to me and you know that's, that's the market variable that we put in here. And if the two of you can work out a fair market value, it's great. So then the... If... If a fair market value is not, if you're not able to negotiate that, then it goes to arbitration. Is it bi- binding, binding arbitration. arbitration. Okay. Which, which is essentially a, 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 a concept where there's an American Arbitration Association and there are rules for mediating and arbitrating, which is essentially the goal is to try to avoid legal. Good. Okay. Right? So you're going to engage a third party uh, mediator who will help us come to those, that number. And that, I guess in there, an arbitrator's job is to look at both sides and decide. Look at the what work you've fair. put in. Look at you know the the data that I have that that shows the sales may be going down or whatever it might be, and and uh, try to come to a number. Yeah. So their their job, like an arbitrator's job, isn't to necessarily like like court would be. There's a winner and a, there's a loser. Correct. They're more of to negotiate it's, it's, a outcome that exactly. is equitable equitable to both exactly. parties. Yeah, I mean the goal here has never been to screw anybody. Yeah. And and you know, I, I think that luckily we're past that and we've had conversations with 
wholesalers about it, and, and I think they understand that we are really trying to help our small brewers out of iffy relationships. And that's it. When I think um, it was during And they're the, business people, too, so it's at the base yeah. level, they, they get it. Uh, it was during the House hearings where uh, Brendan O'Leary pointed out that this actually could help distributors too because he said he himself and he imagines there's other breweries in the same boat that if he knows if he picks a distributor he has to stay with them forever he's just not going to unless he has to but now this is there's more of an incentive for a brewer to go with a distributor sooner and to invest in that relationship yeah because they know that if things go south, they're not stuck for life. So we estimate that of all of our membership, um, probably 30% of them are in distribution. And from a survey we did uh, last fall, probably another 40 to 50% of them are sitting on the bench right now. They would like to be distributing, but hell no, they're not going to do it until they know that they've got some assurance if it doesn't work out in five years, 10 years, whatever, they can pull back. Yeah. Well, because they, they have the same arguments that distributors have for right. not want They don't want to deliver to beer because trucks are expensive. Absolutely. Employees to deliver trucks right. are expensive. They would rather They, they would not rather outsource to, it. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And there's a goal from both sides for this to be a mutually beneficial arrangement. You know, no brewery wants to be in a position where they're unilaterally successful based on the work that a wholesaler is helping them get done in the marketplace. And... I think this gets to the point that you were bringing up about the arbitration is that the end result everywhere should be a mutually beneficial arrangement. It's either mutually beneficial while you're in the relationship or it's mutually beneficial to both sides if the relationship should separate. And I think that's important. And you asked about, you know, this maybe being the least sexy thing uh, in terms of the consumer's perspective. But as a beer consumer, if I step back from how close I am to seeing this all work, it means that there are going to be wholesalers competing to do the best that they can with craft beer, knowing that there is a potential that somebody else could come by and want to do it better than them, or that their partner may not be as satisfied as they hoped that they were. And I guess also I did, what I didn't think of from the standpoint of um, now, like the majority of Frederick breweries aren't signed up with um, distributors. A few of them are. I can only assume that the rest of Maryland is dying to get beer from Frederick. And now that there's, there's a higher likelihood that people would be willing to sign on with distributors, there's going to be more Maryland beer making its way throughout in the, the entire state. Yeah. And as we heard from, from you know some of the wholesalers and the retailers in the testimony, they like selling Maryland beer because they make more money from it. Every can they sell, every keg they sell, every bottle they sell – the margin's better for them. So, you know, I, I, I think after, after a couple of years pushing this, it just started to make sense. All right. So the next yep. uh, bill, which probably was the most uh, vis- visible, most yeah. attention paid to, was taproom barrel limits. Yep. Uh, the amount of beer that could be sold through the tap room, which we recorded an episode with um, Guinness's point of view mm-hmm. where they would 
end up having to just shut down at the yep. end of the year if this isn't changed. How is that bill moving along? So that bill's moving quite well as of the recording of this show, Chris. <laughs> um, the, the bill made it through second reader in the House this morning, which means later today or tomorrow it gets a final vote in the House and then moves to the Senate where we expect the Senate to concur um, with, with, with the uh, changes that the House has made. And we spent a lot of time with that bill negotiating with the retailers because they're the ones that have always had concerns about yeah. how much a brewery can make, how much a brewery can sell, um, you know, whether or not you have to take a guided tour when you're buying beer to go. Um, there were a lot of good concessions uh, from their side, and, and uh, you know, we had to give a little on some things in that bill too, but I think we created a, a good bill that, that you know, we're, we're, I use the term generational change. I, I think this will be a bill that, you know, while the limits aren't unlimited, which is what the bill last year was yeah, pushing. A world think, with no limits. Right. The, this, is a, this is a bill with limits, yeah. but there are limits that, um, you know, in talking with our members and, you know, doing actual analytics on surveys and everything else, they're not going to hit these limits. Yeah. So it gives them room, the room they need to make plans to expand their get investors and do whatever they need to do um, without feeling like next year they're going to hit the limit and they're going to have to come back and maybe the law will pass or not. I think this is this is a long, well, this is a long bill. So where does it um, stand now? What is it set at? So it's originally it was at five, right? It's five thousand barrels. Okay. So that's it's where still there. the agreement is five thousand barrels. Um, we we have uh, in the bill removed the guided tour for beer to go. So if you're going to Flying Dog or you know one of our other breweries that packages beer, you'll be able to buy what was it, 288 ounces, yeah. which yeah. is what's written in the law, and and leave and not have to take the guided tour. Um, class seven, so microbreweries are going to be able to. Uh, also sell up to 5,000 barrels. Right now they're at four. Um, they're also going to be able to make twice as much beer, so from 22,500 barrels to 45,000 barrels. They're also, as a Class 7, going to be able to have a different license, another location. So if they want to have two breweries, thinking that most Class 7s are restaurants, restaurants have chains, you might as well, you know, rather than Applebee's or one of these other places, let our breweries have two brewery locations, you know, branded brewery locations. So that's good. Um, also allows a brewery to pr produce off-site. So if they've got the perfect location, they love it, everything's great, but they're out of space, they need to, you know, upgrade their their system, um, they can now get another space, brew their beer there, still their beer. So it's not contract beer, it's their beer. Uh, and they're investing in the equipment and everything else, but then they'll be able to stay in that cool location. Um. Frederick had its own yes. bills for those things. Yep. Are they still moving along, or have they? Is the is it just kind of been looked at? We'll address it in this statewide one. Yeah. So the goal the goal has been um, to try to address those issues in the statewide bill, if at all possible. Um, the only two things that the local bill had that the state bill didn't have have now been rolled into the state bill. Okay. And one of those is uh, the ability for a farm brewery to stay open past six o'clock without having a promotional event. So they're just going to be able to stay open, still have to abide by whatever the zoning yeah. local rules are. And then self-distribution, raising the amount that can be self-distributed from 3,000 barrels to 5,000 barrels. Okay. So big, a big, big win for the industry all around. Yeah. So 
in in one way though the old law was kind of beneficial because we wouldn't have an oxy brewing company if if places had been allowed six years ago to hold have two uh two locations under the same uh license but so is it only two is the limit at just two? They're able to have one one additional license. Okay. Yeah. So I think in Pennsylvania you can have up to five under the five same retail. Like, okay, so only one yeah. production, and then yep. the rest can only be tap rooms. Yep. Okay. And then before we get into the final one, uh, which actually affects a lot of people, also, why don't we talk about the um, Frederick Craft Beer Festival? Sure. So it's one of the best events held every year. We do love it. Yeah, we're we're very fond of that event. It gets a great turnout, and it's in a wonderful location. You know, the first year it was there, I actually hated it there. Did you? Uh, Why yeah. Is that? I I don't. I just didn't because I started going to it when it was Spring Fest, when it was at Harry Grove Stadium, and I just always kind of thought it was cool there. But um, as I think, and I think a lot of things were learned the first year along the creek and fixed i can't remember what it was but a lot of things were changed after that first year and then now along the creek it just keeps getting better and better we're yeah. trying so we sorry, keep expanding guys. it down the creek which is and a, i think that's a, a big part of it too because there, there's so many pinch points along the creek but as you take over i mean pretty soon it's just going to encompass all of downtown that would be great uh, <laughs> it, can you imagine that? where do we sign it, yeah. from one end to the other <laughs> well frederick is the east coast craft beer yeah. capital so it would only make sense it would make to, sense um but yeah as it is, expands more and more well, it's a, it's over a block worth of no it's car- almost three blocks yeah three so blocks. as yeah as it encompasses more blocks along carroll creek it it spreads it out enough it doesn't feel crowded anymore and it just keeps getting better and better so yeah I, i'll let you go now since i interrupted you for about five minutes well, well, keep you. talking I about how great it is that's great <laughs> it's the best ever uh it's maryland craft beer festival um we think that this one encompasses we do the baltimore craft beer festival and maryland craft beer festival this is definitely the draw for all of Maryland, even though it is in, as Chris likes to refer to Frederick as the no people say that. Oh, and and what it, what is the quote? Because I don't he I don't want to misquote this. The East Coast craft beer capital. No, I thought there used to be some other city's name brought into that. Oh well, no, it's like um, Asheville is like the Frederick of North Carolina. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> so. Uh, May the 11th, Saturday, May the 11th, we have the uh, Maryland Craft Beer Festival taking place down on Carroll Creek Linear Park. Uh, we're expanding some of the footprint there this year to encompass more porta potties and kind of all the essential stuff you have to have to continue to put on a great festival. And uh, we're really looking forward to it. We have 50 breweries right now coming. I think that we have to cap that because we can't find any more space to put anybody. Double, yeah, de- were, double decker brewery. Yeah, yeah. Well, like last year, they were just kind of tucked in all over the yeah, place. Maybe we'll build in lofts or yeah. something. That would be kind of oh, cool. barge. could put a barge oh, on go. the creek. <laughs> Frederick needs post into a uh, business opportunity. Yeah. Barge. <laughs> um, and we're going to have some great craft vendors there this year. Again, wonderful food, live music. It's uh, It's a really great day. Good opportunity to come out and taste hundreds of different styles of beer and uh, see everything that everybody's bringing out. New releases, standby seasonals, and, you know, core brands that people are really excited to see over and over again. That's why I, um, I mean, I don't want to speak for all breweries, but 
brewers seem to hate beer festivals, um, but they seem to actually like this one. And a lot of specialty beers are brought to it. Right. And the brewery owners themselves are actually there too. So it's it's a really nice event for the, those reasons. I think that that's part of the fact that this is an event that's owned by those brewers. Yeah. You know, this is their organization putting on the Maryland Craft Beer Festival on their behalf. Uh, it gives our ownership, our, our members that are owners, a reason to come out and say, hey, here's our brand, this is what we do, and we want to meet the people who are supporting us directly. It's a little bit different maybe when you're going through – uh, you know, some local town who's putting on a, a beer festival for themselves. But when it's coming back to the members, I think that that really steps up everybody's game. Um, it's been, when I was working in the brewing industry, it was my goal to always present the best that we had for the customers that were coming out to support the industry. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's the motivation for a lot of the folks that come to that. And how quickly did VIP tickets sell out this year? We sold out VIP tickets in under an hour and a half. Despite all of the uh, issues that came up with our ticketing that morning, we had a really successful sale of VIP tickets, and we were sold out within an hour and a half. That's huge. Um, and if I understand correctly, we will also be giving out a pair of regular uh, general admission tickets. Yep. Uh, so keep your eyes open on social media and we do still have general admission tickets available they are selling very quickly this event does sell out every yeah, year it's usually a couple of weeks before yeah. hand that it's yeah i mean it's been years since you could walk up and buy tickets at the gate right? so we're encouraging people to jump on now we are going to uh do a price hike on april the first we're doing kind of a uh <clears throat> early bird i guess is what we're calling it but uh the price will go up a little bit on April the 1st. The goal is to motivate people to come out to the creek and celebrate the Maryland Craft Beer Festival and see all the great uh, breweries and live music and food that's there. Tickets There's always are, a great collection of food trucks. Yeah. Tickets are available at uh, MarylandCraftBeerFestival.com, MDCraftBeerFestival.com. Awesome. We had to, we had to shorten that one, don't, abbreviate it. It's pretty long. Use up too many yeah. symbols. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a lot to type. Yeah. <laughs> don't, want, don't want to have fatigue by the time you type in the URL. No. All right. So the final uh, bill for beer was to take uh, proceeds from excise tax yep. uh, and put it towards a promotion and education fund for craft breweries, right. which basically mirrors what is done for wineries at the at current time that's right so that bill has stalled oh um yeah so so (laughs) so the state it was humming along and lots of support for it uh, in both the house and the senate and the state then started making announcements about an impending budget crisis oh okay so leadership in both chambers said if it's more than a hundred thousand dollars think hard about it okay don't do it and if it's that much just think about it so the bill there was an amendment to reduce the amount from just whatever the tax revenues are on craft beer to um, $75,000 which significantly reduces it I think it would have been $400,000 okay Um, so it's down to $75,000 and then the bill just stalled because it's a money bill and I think they're trying to figure out all the money bills hold wait to see where the budget goes and then once a budget's passed if there's ways to get little things in they'll do it yeah i have some snide comments to make but i think i'll refrain from (laughs) saying anything negative at the moment um 
So, well, hopefully... You can take up can, your next show on that. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, someone will lift some cushions yeah. or find some money. Yeah. That they can... You know, and and we, we really like that because if you think about, like, the research that the University of Maryland's doing on hops and grains, yeah. this would help fund that. A technical summit for Maryland brewers to help them, you know, make sure that all their beer is a game all the time, that would fund that. Um, you know, promotions and things like that would be great. I know the tourism offices around the state were very interested in the bill, but, um, you know, it's money and it's tough money year. All right. So next we had, did wineries have anything? It's such a, at this point it's a pretty mature industry. Yeah. Wineries have a pretty mature industry. Um, they, they had a couple of bills that they were watching a couple of agricultural bills, agritourism bills, um, one of the ones that uh, was the most exciting for them, and again, very low sex appeal, <laughs> is if you're on a farm and you're doing an agritourism activity, um, there is a, a law that a couple counties subscribe to that said that um, if you're having fewer than 200 people in your barn, you're exempt from building code. Still has to be structurally sound, still has to be safe, right? But... Um, in terms of needing to get a plumbing permit and put in sprinklers, you're exempt from that because it's a you know temporary use agritourism. Yeah. And um, we had seven counties sign on to that this year, which was great. So that's something that our folks were very excited about. And then we'll finally be able to hang <coughs> out in barns. You can finally hang. I mean, we've been hanging out in barns, right? But now you can do it legally. Um, and then mead. There, there's a, a meadery in. Uh, which is honey wine, or it is wine, um, but Charm City Mead Works, yeah. um, you had them on? Yeah, so, a long time ago. Okay, good. Um, so James, cool guy, great operation there. But I had the other, um, I think he's no longer with them. Okay, on. Andrew. Yeah, Andrew yeah, was yeah. on. Okay, well, good, I mean, good good folks, great product, but they. it looks like beer, it's the yeah. alcohol content of beer, it's packaged like beer, and it sells to a beer market. So they've been selling through beer wholesalers. They tried through wine wholesalers, and the wine wholesalers didn't really know what to do with it. So he started with a beer wholesaler. Beer wholesaler loved it. But because he was a winery using beer wholesaler laws, he could only sell to one beer wholesaler. So breweries sell to oh. five across the state or ten across, however many they... Yeah, whatever. It's whatever carved the region up by is, the, right? the territories, kind of. So what he had to do was he would sell to one who would then sell to another, who would sell to Jeez. another. So <laughs> if, if he got an order for you know a, a, a case of these cans in Ocean City, he had to sell it to his Baltimore distributor, who sold it to Buck Distributing in Southern Maryland, who sold it to Wants Distributing Everyone in Western gets Maryland. Everyone five cents. And they're, all dri- <laughs> they're literally driving it around. <laughs> so the, the stuff would get to Ocean City in like... A year At or the two. end of the season <laughs> and, you know... So um, there's a bill that will, uh, and it's passed... It's gone through half the process. It would pass. It would change the definition of mead to be produced by a winery or a brewery. Okay. What about? Is there anything for cider also? Because I've heard that there's some some cideries prefer to identify with the brewery and brewing yep. industry. Yep. Some prefer to with be wine. wineries. Yeah. yeah. Anytime you make cider, it's wine. Okay. And so um, our wineries are allowed to make cider. Our breweries are allowed to make cider if they get a winery license. Okay. So it's it's complicated. They they can then still sell it and promote it as um, you know local cider, local beer, 
but they have to get a federal winery license in order to do it. So does it still, it has to be distributed through winery distributors? Or no. Can they be it, distributed it, through? So mead is following what cider Oh, okay. Done. So, so cider, cider already can be made can, by wine, okay. a winery or a brewery. Okay. And same thing with mead, hopefully if the bill passes. Yeah, that seems like um, an almost, uh, even though it's been around as one of the oldest. Yeah alcohol beverages um just now starting to people to pay any attention to it whatsoever yeah. so it it's kind of like this weird hybrid beverage that doesn't quite fit in anywhere yet yeah and it's it's um so we we've, we've gotten pretty excited about some mead in our office just because it's you know when people bring in samples it's just it's it's clearly not that's got to be pretty awful for you guys oh, it's and it happens for me every once in a while like yeah. someone will contact someone me brings like alcohol. they're dropping something <laughs> off in the lobby which I greatly encourage for anyone listening you appreciate it it's 351 Ballinger Center Drive ring the bell chris um uh but it must be awful how much gets dropped <laughs> off to you guys cuz i've seen social media posts of just like shelves Shelf. filled <laughs> filled with stuff we we get we get to try some new products we um you know we have relationships with our producers so when they've got something new that they're really excited about we will often find you know a bottle or a can of it which is which is great because we we love to try it and we give feedback and i, I didn't give the whole address that's 351 <laughs> ballinger center drive frederick maryland 21703 care of chris sands Greatly welcomed and appreciated. <laughs> so, um, and there's also a wine event, yeah. thankfully, for you to talk about. Spring is full. We have so many great things going on. Um, the wine event is called Decanter. This year it's returning to uh, Laurel Park, which is the racetrack in Laurel. Uh, there will be a day of horse racing, and we'll be taking over a portion of their property to host a really great event that's going to showcase uh, almost 20 Maryland wineries. We'll have a local oysterman there who will be doing a la carte oysters. Uh, prior to the tasting event, we have a brunch portion that allows people to come in and sample uh, wines that have been curated and paired with a brunch menu uh, that has been put together by the folks at Laurel Park. I like how you're, like, you guys are starting to do these more fancy like experience type events. Um, What's well, the type of event I want to go to? Well, <laughs> that's so why. it's self-serving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and it's great for like, the, the consumer. The consumer is maturing, I think, with regard to locally made beer, wine, and spirits. It's it's not something that's so new to them that they don't have any kind of tangible uh, interaction with it. And because of that, they're going to expect it to fill fill those, those holes that their old experiences used to be uh, made up of, you know? Going so, out to a dinner and having... That wine would now be, if I'm going to have local wine, it should also be with great food or uh, in an experience that's going to rival what I could get if I just went downtown to a restaurant. Because whereas, uh, it, yes, going to Frederick Craft Beer, Frederick Craft, or the Maryland Craft Beer Festival is awesome. I love going to it. Um, but And I think you guys have already announced the date for this year. The, the revive mm -hmm. event yep. is just like a whole different, it's so amazing cool. yeah. experience. It was so that space great. is amazing. Yeah, so yep. there you have picked the date for this year, right? Or yeah, can we finish on decanter yeah, and then yeah, go sorry, to revive? Go ahead. Just because my brain's gonna, I'm gonna lose it if I don't. Okay, go. So April sixth at Laurel Park, we're doing decanter. We're calling it decanter reimagined. This festival used to be held outside on the apron. Yep. Um, this year we're moving it all indoors, so it's going to give. Uh, 
it's going to give the visitor, the attendee, a little bit more uh, comfort if it's a little drizzly or if it's too hot out. You never know in April what the weather's going to be like. And uh, it's going to really focus on kind of the resurgence of Maryland's focus on quality in wine. Uh, our winery members have been making a very concerted effort to continue to make great products, and this is going to showcase that in a more elevated way than just out on the grass under a tent. Um, it seems like people really enjoyed that type of festival, and I think they're really going to enjoy this. Plus the backdrop of the horse racing. So I don't know, you know, if, have you ever been to Laurel Park? No. So, I mean, it, it's it's so cool, and I don't know a lot about uh, the the horse industry in terms of racing and the history of it. I know a little bit, but to see there and be engaged in it is incredible. And so that's that's one of the renovations they've done at, at Laurel Park is they've got these huge windows. So right where we're going to be, you're steps away when they ring the bell and sound oh, the horn. Cool. You can see all the horse racing live. If you want to go outside, you can go outside. And if not, you can see all the live racing. You can see the entire track from nice. where we are. So it's an incredible facility. And the venue is totally immersive in one of the portions they have it's almost like wall to wall this display that will show the racing live um it it really is a captivating place we went and did a walk through there and it's it's more beautiful than you could imagine it looks like a, a luxury hotel compared to a racing facility or you know yeah. may, maybe what you would see of a, a racetrack in the movies you know it doesn't have like the white walls or anything it's beautifully appointed it's fancy and it's meant to host events like this and i think it's going to be a perfect venue for what we're doing so we have brunch tickets available now they're 85 dollars a person that's a five course small plate brunch and then we have 35 dollars tickets available for the tasting experience and that's where you come in and you get a glass and you get to sample some of the wines there and then if you select wines that you really enjoy you can either purchase those bottles to take home or purchase a bottle and drink it there while you're watching the races nice and we will be giving away tickets. Yeah, let's do a pair of those too. Awesome! Everyone get well, not yeah, everyone yeah. gets a ticket, but <laughs> everyone gets someone gets a ticket to everything. Everyone <laughs> gets a chance at a ticket <laughs> <Yeah>. to everything. <laughs> don't get don't get to quite be Oprah, but like Oprah, <laughs> look under your like, seat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So now um, let's go back to what I interrupted you with revive and how amazing that was. And when will that be this year? The date for Revive this year is August the 24th. I believe so. And uh, we're Let's really, really excited about that. That uh, that venue at the Shrine is awesome, and we're, we're really excited that they're willing to have us back there. Um, it was a great place for our members. They all walked in, and, you know, Eric Gleason at Barley and Hops, I remember walking in with him, and his jaw dropped, and he was like, I cannot believe this place. <laughs> it's just – it's awesome. It you was know, beautiful. It's serene. Just... Uh, it it – takes your breath away and it really makes you appreciate the whole event it's not just hey i'm here because the beers are going to be great it's wow all of this is just it's like sensory overload um so we're excited about that we're going to have uh 18 breweries there this year uh we've decided that some like last year some of the breweries were pouring maybe two beers this year we're going to make it so every beer is poured by a different winner that's great um so if there were any overlaps you know a brewery won two golds they'd get moved out of one of the categories and we'd move down to the next medalist okay uh, for an opportunity to just provide more variety and tell a story about what our brewers are doing um more broadly by having more of them in attendance we're still going to work with a good group of local restaurants to bring food in and pair and uh, we're we're really excited about it. Which the the job they did at pairing the beers with 
the small plates last year. It was just phenomenal. It was, it was yeah. ridiculous how good a lot of those were. Well, actually, all of them were. I don't think that there was anything after that night that any of us were like, I can't, you know, I didn't see how that worked or yeah. anything. Everybody was walking around, I think, for days. We got there back in the office. There were some crazy pairings, but they were super, They worked, and they were yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. We got back in the office on Monday, and I think we were all still talking about how great some of those those dishes were. And the beers that were there were all fabulous, too. So we're really looking forward to that. The background of that event is that this is the celebration of the winners from the uh, Maryland Craft Beer Competition. So we are uh, starting to open up our registration for that so the members can start to register for the competition. And then once the competition occurs, we will uh, make the announcements publicly of the winners of all the medals and the best of show at Revive. Awesome. When when do tickets for that start to go on sale? Uh, I think we'll probably have those up by the first or second week of April. Awesome. So people should look out for that because it, mm. it really was an amazing event. And I think we've covered everything at this point, right? I think so. All right. So we will try to turn this around quickly and upload it. Uh, I'll probably upload it out of our normal upload cycle. Mm. Um if anything dramatically changes, yeah. let me know, and I will record. You'll, you'll put a little thing. Uh, yeah, I'll right? record an addendum somewhere. Like this is what we got wrong. Hopefully, other than hopefully, the only thing that changes is that they find some money to push forward the the other bill. But oh, everything else, let's hope that it stays on the track that it is on. That's the goal. So, uh, thank you, Jim, for staying in your home hometown <laughs> to talk to us. Yeah, thanks and for Kev- commuting all the yeah. way. I really appreciate that. <laughs> I was in the office this morning. <laughs> and Kev- I was not. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just I'm flattered that you're willing to take the time oh, to, to pry yourself away from Annapolis during this time to come and talk to us. I'm, I'm proud of what we've accomplished, and and thank you for for giving us some coverage. And uh, thank you, everyone, for watching and listening. Thanks, Cheers. Chris. Thank you. The Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook. And if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening. Oh, my God. That's good.